Well, good morning. I'm Jay Barrett. You're listening to Public Radio, KBBI, AM 890, Homer. It's time now for the regular Thursday COVID brief uh, and occasionally hootenanny. Uh, we have a good time here when, uh, when the news is good, which uh, the, I think the news has been much better lately. So uh, I want to thank uh, Lauren Carroll and uh, Dorotha Ferraro for uh, joining me today. Um, I'm on the Zoom call, but I'm the only one sideways here, and that's just disturbing me. I'll see if I can fix that. But uh, good morning, uh, Lauren. How are you? Uh, how are you doing today? How are things from the state's perspective? Hey, Jake. Good morning. I'm doing well. Good to see you. Uh, you know, the incidence of COVID-19 remained high across most parts of Alaska during that week of February, February 6 through 12, uh, and we're still seeing. Um, Flu is still circulating, uh, and there are several other uh, respiratory viruses circulating as well. So that, that's just a high overview. Mm-hmm. Dorota, good morning. Uh, how are the numbers at uh, South Peninsula Hospital? And I have another question for you too, of course, about the uh, times for vaccines, but uh, what's your weekly update? Good. Well, good morning and thank you. And I just want to make sure you saw Peggy's on too. So, um, so we have, um, we are seeing continued um, decline of kind of the uh, uh, virus activity, um, which is meaning for um, better news. So we had five visits to the ER in the last week related to COVID and one um, hospital admission. And we collected 527 test samples, and 52 of those were um, positive. So we're down at 10%. So that 10% positivity rate is down from 15, 14, 13, where we'd been for the last um, several weeks. So seeing a little um, dip there. So that's great. Um, we continue to give the monoclonal antibody infusions. We did nine of those in the last week and um, do continue to see vaccine activity, though not nearly as many. In the last week, we did 27 vaccines. So that's just kind of a look at the numbers at a glance for the week. Mm -hmm. It seems that uh, not only is the percentage going down, but the number of people seeking uh, a shot is going down. So really, the actual numbers uh, are getting pretty low. Um, both for testing and for vaccine, yes. I would say that over the, you know, testing has cut in half since the end of January. So just in a month, we've gone from 1,100 down to 500 as far as just the actual people testing for um, COVID and then vaccines as well. Um, at the end of January, we were at 100 a week and now we're down, like we only did 27 last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, uh, that segues into the announcement from SPH this week that uh, you will be only offering uh, vaccines now on Sundays and Mondays. Could you tell us about that? You bet. So um, as we saw the, um, the I, I would call it the temporary demand because through the whole way through the pandemic, you see the demand and interest in vaccines go up and down based on whether there's a current outbreak in the community, based on whether there's different guidance from CDC on who should vaccine or when should get when they should get vaccinated. So right now the, the demand and interest is low. So we decided to um, go ahead and make those vaccines available two days a week, which then allows those vaccine nurses to A, not be bored, and B, um, um, you know, use their skills elsewhere in the organization. And um, so we're offering the vaccines on Sunday and Monday. 
at the vaccine clinic. However, we did reach out to all the local partners prior to making that decision. And um, we were happy to find that Safeway still is doing vaccines daily. Um, the, all of the many, I shouldn't say all, many of the primary care clinics offer vaccines um, with your appointment or by appointment. So there's plenty of vaccine um, availability in the community. And we just wanted to make sure that that was available before we scaled back to two days a week. So mm -hmm. the, good, the good news is still seven days a week in Homer, you can get vaccinated if you so choose. Right. Excellent. Peggy, I'm looking on a tiny little phone screen, so I didn't notice you were there. So thank you, Dorotha, for letting me know you're on the line. How are things going with the school district uh, this week? Things are going well. We have more weather-related issues than we do with um, COVID-19 pandemic-related things happening. But um, our numbers as well are, we're seeing the declines that uh, Dorotha was mentioning and that we're seeing happening across our, well, just on the peninsula for sure. Um, we do have some changes coming to our mitigation plan. I'll be doing an announcement about that either later today or tomorrow. They won't go into effect until next Friday. And one of the things will be the two, two of the bigger things that will happen are we won't be doing any contact tracing in schools anymore. And we haven't been doing that as much, but we definitely um, are making that update to the mitigation plan. And then the other piece that will happen is a shift with face coverings that will shift to schools recommending face coverings, but it's personal choice for students and staff. And as visitors and volunteers as well, we'll have a choice to wear a mask or not. The only two exceptions to that are if somebody has recently tested positive for COVID-19 and they're in that time period of day six through 10 and not experiencing symptoms, they still need to wear a face covering until those 10 days are up from the positive test date. And then on school buses, because that's a federal USDOT mandate, face coverings will still be required for everybody riding a bus to or from school or for a school activity. So I'll have, a, I'll, I'll have information about that late today or tomorrow, and then it will be an effect on the Friday when spring break happens then that next week. Oh, okay. Excellent, excellent. Um, what kind of uh, school activities are coming up here uh, uh, that might, uh, might be going on now that uh, you know, otherwise might have been affected by the COVID? We've been having all of our activities happening, so they've just had mitigation plans with them. This year's been different than last year where we didn't have any um, groups coming into buildings or doing as many activities. Schools will still continue with their layered mitigation. So we've learned a lot and put a lot of things in place that will stay with best practices um, for air filtration, for distancing a little bit, for sanitization and disinfection, hand washing, proper hygiene, and still putting our signs up through the buildings and utilizing current public health guidance. And then we do provide testing resources. So anybody that does test positive or is identified as a close contact, not in a school setting, but finds out that they're a close contact, can talk to their school nurse to understand what they can do, where they can get a free test or an at-home test kit. And we're still there to really support people through this time. And we follow the village or tribal guidelines for school facilities if 
a village um, has a different guideline than the school does. Or mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the uh, change in the school policies, uh, will that uh, affect uh, charter schools, charter schools that have full-time mask policies? At this time, I know we have a charter school in the Homer area that has been having full, you know, face, everybody must wear a face covering and the APC could do that because it wasn't stricter than what the district had in place. So I'm sorry, it wasn't less restrictive than what the district had in place. So I don't know the answer to what will happen with that, um, if they will continue it or not, but the APC has that in effect. Um, so that's different than school districts, similar to how the village or tribal um, councils have COVID-19 mandates in place that we follow. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Well, Peggy, thank you very much. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Not today, just everybody stay safe. It's slippery out there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Thank we you. Can. And uh, Dorotha reminded us uh, on a uh, uh, sideboard here that uh, the last home games for basketball are this weekend. Is that right? Yep, the last home basketball games, there's four. So it's the boys and girls, um, both JV and varsity. And it's Friday, um, it starts late afternoon on Friday. I think the first game's at three and goes all evening and they are playing Nikiski and it is senior night. So you can either um, watch in person in the gymnasium um, or you can watch on the Homer Mariners YouTube channel. They have it just streamed live on Homer Mariners YouTube, and um, that's an easy way to watch from home. Oh, terrific. terrific. Well, thanks for letting us know. Senior night is very important. Um, I, got a, uh, I got a question here, and this is for you, Dorotha. Uh, it's, um, it's a couple paragraphs. Let me, let me uh, summarize here. Uh, as a woman who, um, her and her husband tested positive for COVID, he was positive on the first test and received a phone call within just four hours after uh, he took the test. Uh, but for her, it took three tests before she was tested. And on the, uh, the day she went to look on the hospital portal, uh, um, she went on the hospital portal and it was the day before she received her negative results. And with her positive results, she received a phone call. And so I, I think she's asking if um, the hospital has flexibility on calling people or what is the policy on calling people who uh, are positive or, or not? Okay, good question. So remember that we are all unique both the tester and the testee and the um, folks working um, the whole way along the chain of, um, the, of the experience. So it, with each situation, something different may have happened. What I can just tell you is what our goal has been all along in the pandemic, though it is changing soon. So it's interesting this question comes up. So all along in the pandemic, our goal was that we called anyone who tested positive. We never called anybody who tested negative. They may have gotten a call from somebody who sounded like they were from the hospital, like maybe it was public health as part of contact tracing or you know something like that. Um, but the, the hospital called only folks who um, got positive um, results. And we would do some advisement on what to do, how to handle the situation, et cetera. 
Um, but start so to her to that caller or that person's email, not 100% certain, especially if she was testing multiple times, because I will tell you that the portal when you're in the portal and you've tested multiple times recently, sometimes depending on how the orders put in whether it was from a doctor or not, they all might not show up sometimes it overrides. The, the prior one. So um, it just depends on how, how her tests um, were ordered. So as far as going forward, so what we've decided um, to try is um, starting March 1st, when we shift the vaccines to be only on Sunday, Monday, um, we are also shifting the, um, the availability of folks to, to call um, folks who have um, positive results. So we will be informing you when you test, you will get all the instructions when you test. So don't worry about memorizing it right now. Um, when you test, you will be instructed on exactly how to get on your portal and when to get on your portal, like how we're doing as far as lab processing that day. So then you'll know about when to check your portal results so that you will be responsible to go and see if you're positive or not. And um, all of the information of what to do if you are positive will be, handing, will be handed out at that time. But don't worry if you lose it and it's on the floor of your car or whatever, no worries, it's on the hospital website and um, will be um, totally um, available as well. Of course, somebody out there listening is saying, well, wait, what if a person doesn't have internet or doesn't have the phone or whatever? We are not going to hang anybody out to dry. We are going to um, help people as needed. Um, doctor's offices are available to help people as needed. Public health offices available. We're not going to let anybody out there. But the reality is that right now, it's the perfect time as we slide off of this Omicron wave and the numbers come down uh, much lower. Now's the perfect time to help folks learn how to go on and check their results on their own because it's a it's nobody wants to do that when it's this, you know, these peak surges. But now is the time to start um, training folks how to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, uh, you mentioned the uh, Internet connectivity uh, in the same question, the woman uh, points out that they were recently without internet service for several days, which, you know, happens around here, and that the uh, the phone call, getting the phone call with the uh, results, they were able to isolate quickly and uh, receive treatment quickly. Um, and you're saying that there's, um, th there are plenty of ways to find out and um, uh, just yes. keep... We, um, our, co our COVID station remains open seven days a week. Our, um, we have a portal helpline that's open daily. So um, all of those phone numbers and everything will be in the packets. Mm -hmm. Now, Lauren, you, uh, you, you put up a te text uh, message here that uh, these things will be changing with the state too. Um, is this uh, part of a movement towards um, coronavirus becoming endemic? And that was one of the articles I sent you this week from uh, uh, the Washington Post. California is preparing to treat this as just, you know, like the common cold, something you got to put up with, I guess. Yeah, that's a great question. And thanks for those two articles. You know, as of February 28th, so that's next month, this coming Monday, the broad-based contact investigation and contact tracing um, from the state, we'll begin, uh, we'll begin adjusting our infrastructure and our approach to really focus on um, high-risk settings or what we like to call congregate settings uh, within a streamlined team. 
So those folks, that streamlined team is really going to focus on uh, the greatest return. And, you know, the science behind these changes are when there's no longer capacity to investigate the majority of new cases, case investigation and contact tracing, it may not be the most effective approach. So at that point, suspending and scaling down contact tracing activities it is, the, uh, is the approach. So I guess with the, uh, the high transmissibility of Omicron and the capacity to investigate, the, the scoop here is Omicron is it's estimated to the incubation period to be about two to four days. Therefore, these systems that are already stressed, oftentimes by the time that a case has tested and the case has been reported to the state, and then the individuals called, they're they're nearing the end of their infectious period anyhow. Hmm. Okay. Um, as far as California's plan to uh, uh, treat uh, something as endemic, they're they're not the first. There's some other uh, countries that are starting to do this. Uh, could you tell us how that might change things? Uh, you know, if that were adopted here in Alaska, or if that were, you know, happened nationwide. Oh, I can try. Uh, certainly don't have a crystal ball, but I guess I would say start uh, with the beginning. The difference between an epidemic and a pandemic, it, it's one of degree. So an epidemic occurs when there's an increase in the disease or disease cases above normal uh, in a particular population like a country. And an endemic can be pandemic that spreads across several countries or continents. So I, I think there might be a, a language here is that if folks are treating something like it's endemic, that's very different than uh, what a public health official might call endemic versus pandemic. Mm -hmm. I also sent you a, uh, a, a article that was from a, a doctor. It was, um, it was a 64 year old doctor and he's writing in the Washington Post and he shared his calculus for um, COVID risk, going to parties, going uh, uh, out of the house, uh, masking, not masking. Uh, it had a lot of numbers in there, and I thought that would appeal to you, Lauren. Um, what, uh, what do you think of uh, this guy's uh, calculations? And I, I think you gave us something very simple one time, uh, maybe before the holidays. Um, do you have thoughts? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I like that. And, you know, a couple of major thoughts maybe is uh, a 65-year-old uh, doctor, I think it was, uh, would perceive and go about things differently than, say, a 32-year-old public health nurse. Um, so I think that that's important to highlight there. Um, but also, uh, this fella, uh, very rightfully so, very intuitive guy, uh, focused on the science. But I think it's really important to highlight that the science um, only points to associations. Um, we can never really know the true underlying population of say infection. So this guy, uh, as I was reading the article, he went into a, a party and he had to decide uh, if he wanted to stay inside or outside. He chose to go outside, but then it started to rain. So he was faced with this really tough uh, you know, decision. Should he stand out in the rain by himself during this party or take off his mask, go inside and enjoy himself? In it. So he decided to stay inside, go inside and enjoy himself, take off his mask. But I think the take home there is that it, it's that individual's decision and he, she, they can't know 
uh, if someone in that room has uh, COVID or not. It's just something we can't know. Mm -hmm. And so what he did was he calculated uh, out the odds of uh, uh, that, it, for example, odds that he'd die if he got COVID, about one in 1,400. Um, the odds of needing to be hospitalized, about one in 20. Uh, and then, you know, he also um, uh, had the odds of infecting his el elderly mother if he visited her while infected, and that was just one in three. Um, and so he's, there are a lot of factors in deciding a person's comfort level with going out and about, right, uh, at this time? Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, you know, folks just can't, you know, these, these uh, numbers and calculations are based on uh, very broad populations. So these are population numbers. It's very difficult or even impossible to translate those into individual risk. Uh, but it's something to think about to help you make decisions. And we've all been doing that for a couple of years. Um, but it makes me think of this other concept uh, called risk reduction. So risk, risk reduction, you might say, deals with mitigating potential losses by reducing the likelihood or severity of a possible loss. So what I mean is um, this fellow, the 65-year-old, he decided to take off his mask that evening. Um, but then he uh, decided the next day to wear a mask when he went into a restaurant. And, and I think that's okay. So the bottom line there is he overall reduced uh, his chances of transmitting uh, the virus to other people and to himself over the course of the two days. And I think that's great. Oh, okay. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Drotha, do you have thoughts on, on, on this? You're nodding your head. I'm just trying to put into a sentence that... Oddly enough, it's complicated in people's heads um, when to mask and when not and what to do. And it just to make no assumptions or presumptions when you see somebody masked or not, because you have no idea how their day was or what, what drove their decision. Um, so uh, just really, yeah, really understanding that there's a lot of um, decision making that that happens for folks. For some, it's super easy. And for others, they really spend a lot of time calculating that. Mm -hmm. Lauren? Well, I think too, uh, you know, you know, there, all of this is occurring across the timeline from, you know, the past to present and into the future. So that makes me think, or I want to call this out, that each person has been continuously evaluating their risk levels and making continuous decisions based upon that. And so into the future, uh, what we don't know, but it's important to continue to be flexible is, will the next variant uh, be more harmful to individuals and communities or will it transmit less effectively or more effectively? Um, so, you know, we've talked several times on this particular show about how the virus is passed. It really only has three variables, like a susceptible host, uh, like a person can get it, the environment in which uh, everything is contained in, um, and the virus is actually present. So those are three important things to consider, uh, but also uh, the variant. So Omicron, very different ballgame than Delta, and we just can't know what's uh, gonna pop up next. All right, excellent. We have a uh, caller. Hi, you're on the air. Uh, yes, I was wondering, um, now that we're moving into more and make phase of this disease, uh, is health a group going to, start educating people not to be 
against people who wear masks or have vaccinated. I've heard on news that there are, is not necessarily in the state, but areas where people who wear masks or have been vaccinated are being blamed or treated like uh, pariahs. You know, I was wondering about that, too. I was actually going to ask uh, Dorotha about, you know, if anybody, if she's heard of anybody getting uh, green masks, because I still wear a mask everywhere I go, but I look like biker Santa and nobody's going to mess with me. You know, uh, I imagine if I were uh, a mother of a, of a being, I, I might get grief. But uh, what have you heard, Dorotha, about people, you know, hammered on people for wearing a mask? Um, I don't know. I work in a building with hundreds of people who wear masks. <laughs> so, um, that, that doesn't happen. Everybody just wears masks here. So I don't see, I don't see what this color might be referencing. Um, and I don't really go a ton of places in town. Um, but the places that I go do seem to some some buildings have lots of people masks and some buildings don't have anybody masks and a little bit of a mix in between. So I haven't witnessed a, a behavior concerns. I don't know, Lauren. I didn't uh, hear the question, Jake. Can you recap? Uh, it, it was um, people wearing masks uh, being treated as pariahs. Mm. You know, oh, I, d I don't know. Um, but it does make me think about, uh, you know, I guess it's probably fair to say that we just all want Alaskans to have good lives and we want Alaska to continue to be a great place to live. And I think that's important, especially during this uh, past couple of years, it's probably created some of the most stressful situations and time frame, at least that I've ever experienced. So given uh, each other a little bit of space and, and accounting for some unknowns, you just may not know what's going on in that individual's life, uh, entire life, or that particular day or week. There's been a lot of loss. Uh, I think it's good to give folks a little bit of room. Mm -hmm. uh, we are out of time. Uh, we've got a hard deadline here at the bottom of the hour. NPR is going to uh, special coverage uh, about the troubles uh, over in um, Ukraine. So I want to thank uh, Dorotha Ferraro, Lauren Carroll, and Peggy Erkineff for joining us. Uh, joining me here again for the regular Thursday COVID brief. I'm off for the next two weeks, guys. So uh, um, hopefully uh, you'll be in good hands. I'm pretty sure with uh, Kathleen Gustafson who founded the show with you guys. So I'm Jay Barrett and I'm gonna send it back now to the station to Josh and Simon. <laughs>